Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about cancer prevention in low to middle income countries with Dr. Raul Hernandez Ramirez. Dr. Hernandez Ramirez is a research scientist in biostatistics at the Yale School of Public Health. Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. So, Raul, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what it is you do. Sure. Um, I'm a research scientist. I'm a chronic disease epidemiologist with training in implementation science and multi-level interventions. Uh, I have previous experience working in Mexico before coming to Yale to do my PhD and then become a research faculty. I spent uh, several years working there in Mexico at the National Institute of Public Health. And regarding the focus of my research, uh, two of my main areas are cancer and implementation science. So talk a little bit more about your research in terms of cancer uh, prevention, the intersection of that with HIV, and the work that you do in low to middle income countries. Yeah, sure. Um, So large part of my work on cancer research has been focused on uh, cancer risk in people living with HIV in North America and also on breast and risk factors for breast and cervical cancer, and now implementation science uh, in Mexican women. And and implementation science is uh, the study of methods to promote the adoption of uh, and integration of evidence-based practices, interventions and policies into routine health care and public health settings to improve population health, so it is used to improve the adoption, appropriate adoption, adaptation, delivery, and sustainment of effective interventions by providing clinics, organizations, communities, and the systems of care. Regarding this field of implementation science in cancer, I'm interested in adapting, developing, and applying interventions to increase the uptake of interventions and practices for cancer prevention and care, including implementation strategies to enable the delivery of of those interventions and and their sustainment. Uh, That's pretty broad strokes. I mean, one would think that if we kind of break it down and think about breast cancer, so we know that breast cancer is the leading cause of cancer in women worldwide. Um, And one of the leading cancer causes of cancer-related death in women worldwide, um, often uh, tying or, uh, or competing for first place with cervical cancer. But the management of breast cancer is very different, and the screening availability is very different, and the stage at which breast cancer is picked up is very different in the U.S. as it is in many low-to-middle-income countries, where you know, the ubiquity of mammography is not the same as it is in the U.S., and it may not be that mammography is necessarily the be-all and end-all in low- to middle-income countries. Can you talk a little bit more about 
kind of how you've analyzed the problem of breast cancer in low to middle income countries vis-a-vis how it is in the United States and what you think the key issues are and, and perhaps some of the strategies that you've used to address it. Yeah, good. Um, sure. Uh, so most of my f- can, uh, research in middle income con- and low and middle income countries in Mexico, uh, in the terms of breast cancer, have was focused on finding risk factors for, for breast cancer. But I would like to talk more, uh, given the the different points that you mentioned in your question about my can- my work on cervical cancer. Uh, there are cervic, there are in cervical cancer, like in other cancers, as you were mentioning, there are large variability. These parties across the globe, there is significant variability in terms of implementing cancer control programs. Um, in low and middle income countries, ca- cancer patients are frequently diagnosed at advanced stages, and that could be for breast cancer as well for cervical cancer. Um, in the case of low-income countries, uh, there are common barriers that are barriers that they are not necessarily generalizable, in, but they are kind of common that they will be happening depending, regardless of whether it's breast cancer, what you are trying to prevent, or cervical cancer. Uh, and these include the lack of awareness of the general populations and providers, the lack of access to diagnostic facilities, long-distance travel time to locations with cancer services, uh, and difficulties to implement conventional screening and other cancer prevention controls methods uh, due to the lack of financial resources and expertise. And there are also sociocultural factors and stigma. In the case of cervical cancer, despite being nearly fully preventable, large disparities uh, in incidence and mortality exist globally and domestically. It is the four most common cancer uh, uh, more, most common cause of cancer death in the world. Uh, but 85% of those deaths occur in low and middle income countries. Then regarding screening, uh, also there is a large variability with about three out of five women having uh, cervical cancer screening ever in their lives in high income countries, while it's only about two or less out of five women that have ever been screened in low and mi- middle income countries, with some uh, countries like Sub-Saharan Africa presenting the lowest coverage uh, with a prevalence very low, uh, a median prevalence of 17% coverage uh, of a screening. So there is also, there is also women, uh, women uh, um, in Mexico are three, more, uh, three times more likely to die from cervical cancer than in the U.S., but even within the U.S., uh, U.S. Hispanic women are more likely to be diagnosed uh, with and die from cervical cancer than U.S. non-Hispanic white women. In fact, in Mexico, cervical cancer is the second most common cause of cancer mortality uh, among women, while in contrast is the 12th most common ca- cause of cancer mortality uh, among women in the U.S. And Screening for cervical cancer is ineffective. The pap smear and HPV are evidence-based, HPV testing are evidence-based preventive interventions. Uh, however, in the case of pap smear, 
unlike in high-income countries where cervical cancer screen programs have resulted in a dramatic decrease in incidence and mortality, in Mexico and other low- and middle-income countries, the impact of these programs has thus far been limited. Um, colposcopy also, well, uh, the main two tests for for cervical cancer screening are, as I say, is the pap smear, and also is the HP, that is the HPV test. And in other places in the world, uh, that is also the visual inspection with acetic acid. So let me uh, pause here for a moment and just ask a question, which is, you know, before we get into screening, you had mentioned, I mean, certainly as an epidemiologist, you're interested in risk factors. One of the interesting points that you just raised is not only is mortality of cervical cancer higher in Mexico than it is in the U.S., three times higher, but Hispanic women in the U.S. also have a higher uh, rate of mortality from cervical cancer than the rest of the American population. So that raises the issue of, is this... Is there a genetic component here uh, in terms of uh, race slash ethnicity? Or is this really more uh, grounded in sociocultural and socioeconomic uh, factors? Yeah, I I believe it will be more grounded in those socioeconomical and cultural factors as well. And also related to cancer disparities that exist and stigma. from the perspective of these patients, but also the services that are being provided that may not reach the populations that need those services. And in the case of risk factors uh, for cervical cancer, um, one of the preventive interventions is the vaccination with HPV, but since that occurs at early ages, you have uh, older populations of women that have that were not vaccinated when they were younger and that they still need to have uh, the basic prevention screening with this cytology and follow-up care uh, with colposcopy to diagnose and treat uh, the lesions as early as possible. And those are some of those services uh, in the U.S. and also when comparing the U.S. with Mexico, the rates of those uh, services are lower, which leads to a a delay diagnosis and detecting cancers, and therefore detecting cancers at uh, higher stages, late stages in which uh, they are more difficult to treat. You know, one of the interesting things, uh, one of the really wonderful things that was reported by the American Cancer Society just recently was a dramatic uh, fall in the mortality uh, from cervical cancer in this country, um, which they uh, felt was in large part due to the vaccine. One of the things that you mentioned um, was, you know, financial considerations, access considerations. Um, certainly the the healthcare workforce in low to middle income countries is substantially reduced when compared to the U.S., um, it may be more difficult for people to uh, access care. But in the U.S., 
um, the vaccine is available uh, in the U.S. Pap smears are available. So why do you think it is that um, Hispanic women in the U.S. Um, still have higher rates? I mean, it, it, tell, talk more about um, the, the sociocultural factors that you think may play in, or do you think that this is predicated also on the fact that Hispanic women, there may be confounding by the fact that they tend to be of low, lower socioeconomic status and may still, even though there are such services here in the U.S., um, that they access them at a lower rate. And perhaps you can talk a little bit about the comparison between Hispanic women in the U.S. versus um, in Mexico. Yeah, I think uh, in part that part of uh, the reduced access, I think, is influenced by socioeconomical aspects as well as uh, other things related to uh, knowledge about cervical cancer and these screening tests and the benefit of getting them uh, performed for preventing cervical cancer and the fear of the test as well. So those kind of things uh, may be interrelated in some way with uh, a low literacy in, the, in some cases in women, in Hispanic women in the U.S. and low socioeconomical uh, status. And also uh, other, and related to that also, it has been reported uh, barriers such as uh, as, in, as in low and middle income countries, it happens too that barriers relate to the distance or the travel time to to get into the colposcopy because of having to lose time that women can be working or or, or yep. taking care of children if 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 they support that in the family. Yeah, uh, which brings us to the really good point, which we're going to pick up right after the break. On the implementation science, like, okay, so we have a general idea of some of the factors that might be at play, but what can we really do about it? Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital, where their Center for Gastrointestinal Cancers provides patients with a comprehensive, multidisciplinary approach to the treatment of GI cancers. SmiloCancerHospital.org. Breast cancer is one of the most common cancers in women. In Connecticut alone, approximately 3,500 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer this year. But there is hope thanks to earlier detection, non-invasive treatments, and the development of novel therapies to fight breast cancer. Women should schedule a baseline mammogram beginning at age 40 or earlier if they have risk factors associated with the disease. With screening, early detection, and a healthy lifestyle, breast cancer can be defeated. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital, to make innovative new treatments available to patients. Digital breast tomosynthesis, or 3D mammography, is also transforming breast cancer screening by significantly reducing unnecessary procedures while picking up more cancers. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. 
Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Hernandez Ramirez. We're talking about cancer prevention in low to middle income countries. And right before the break, uh, Raul was telling us more about cervical cancer, which is a leading cause of cancer related mortality around the world. Interestingly, uh, the rate of mortality has dropped here in the U.S. But one of the startling statistics that he raised is that not only is the mortality higher in uh, in Mexico amongst women with cervical cancer, but also among Hispanic women right here in the U.S. And there are a number of factors that go into that, whether it's uh, distance to uh, a treatment facility, whether it's the availability of pap smears, whether it is low social uh, health literacy, whether it's uh, low socioeconomic status, or whether it's uh, cultural factors that may Im- impact the stigma associated with cervical cancer, uh, whether it's lack of vaccines. Many, many factors could go into this. So, Raul, the other thing that you had mentioned to us before the break is that you're very involved in implementation science, this idea that you actually try to make a difference um, and change some of the factors that are going on in populations to enhance prevention. So can you talk about some of the strategies that you've looked at and some of your results? Yeah, sure. So um, as you mentioned, there are several common variants, right, that have been reported in low and middle income countries and other places. And uh, what we have learned from from this work that we are doing um, in low and middle income countries, and this related to the implementation science part, is that there are promising health interventions that have limited impact uh, in low and middle income countries because there are implementation problems. So there are barriers to implement uh, these prevention and care practices, even the basic ones. And that's the key challenge to reducing the cancer burden, um, the cervical cancer burden in particular in low and middle income countries. So the barrier need to be identified and addressed. And that is the uh, where implementation science plays a role. Uh, implementation science can help to identify what are those uh, factors that influence implementation and then to try to select and develop intervention strategies to address those factors and enable implementation. So in my work, in our work in Mexico, we have seen that there are frequent gaps in screen and follow-up care after abnormal screens, and that reasons for those gaps may be addressable. So to investigate the reasons for poor follow-up of abnormal screen in Mexico, we have established a research group between a group of researchers at Yale and Mexico's National Autonomous University, UNAM, and the National Institute of Public Health, INSP, in Mexico. And we started by looking at data from a group of patients that were recommended to get a colposcopy after testing positive for HIV risk, HPV, um, in some screening demonstration studies in Mexico Clinic, and that was among uninsured populations. And we have identified factors positively linked to follow-up of positive HPV results. And those include 
having a history of PAP and providing contact data, those were associated with graded adherence to obtaining screening test results. Because before getting a colposcopy appointment, women need to get their test results, right? Uh, then also the availability of family medicine service and being attended by nurses with a good amount of experience was also associated with greater adherence to obtaining those screening results. In contrast, as mentioned before, also observing other places, the longer travel time to colposcopy clinic was linked to decreased attendance to colposcopy. Interventions to improve follow-up for those with abnormal results can be developed based on this information, such as strategies that can be used to secure contact data. Also, there could be educational interventions to improve nurses' knowledge and skills relative to the cervical cancer program recommendations, especially emphasizing the importance of encouraging patients to promptly collect their screening results and get follow-up care if needed. And also in the case of the travel or the long-distance barrier to provide travel support for patients that need a colposcopy or even taking the clinic to the communities with a mobile colposcopy clinic. You know, those sound like good strategies, but, you know, as I've found with uh, global oncology, there's always multiple layers to the onion. Um, And the puzzle always seems to be a little bit more complicated than you would initially anticipate. So, for example, the idea of, you know, providing education for nurses so that they may understand cervical cancer and its prevention and treatment in a greater detail sounds like that's a great idea. And it is. But for many low to middle income countries, the problem is not only the lack of knowledge, it's the lack of nurses. So how do you get around issues like a lack of a workforce um, or a workforce that is so constrained because it is so small, it doesn't meet World Health Organization guidelines for the number of nurses that are recommended for their population. And so these nurses are working so many hours that they may not have time to attend educational uh, activities on top of which, even if they did, they still are very limited in their numbers. How do you get around the fact that even if you provide transportation to patients to get to the clinic, that many of them, as you mentioned before the break, may be working, maybe two or three jobs, and maybe getting off from work um, may be another barrier. So how do you deal with all of these layers of the onion? Yeah, very good question. There are multiple different layers. And because of that reason, we are now preparing to conduct research consisting of interviews and surveys with patients and providers to try to identify and understand how those different factors at different levels work. The factors from the that affects the individuals, in this case, the patients receiving the services, but also what are those factors related to the providers that may be affecting um, implementation, such as the lack of uh, human resources, but also the lack of time to get to 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 um, attend the, ser- the the patients. But also, of course, if they lack time to see the patients, they will ha- lack time to 
to get tr additional trainings, right? So we also need to see what are kind of the barriers and at uh, higher levels, like organizational levels, that can also influence uh, the factors uh, going down to the patient. Like if there are things that can be changed at the organization level, that is, it may be more challenging, but that may affect all the other different levels. And the way it is challenging because there are things that are more modifiable or easy modifiable than others. Uh, but I think the first step is trying to generate the evidence about what is driving the problem in this in these particular settings. And with that evidence, uh, try to make changes at the higher level to show to influence some program and policies changes based on that. And hopefully with that information, uh, in the case of things that are harder to modify, try to generate that evidence that can help also get additional funding for uh, for the clinics to have, in some cases where they have been done in, in some places to have community health workers that or not patient navigators that dedicate themselves to to take the patient from the beginning of screening to treatment through all the different steps. Uh, but yeah, and it's it, an important part there is is this part of uh, getting the financial resources needed to implement these kind of strategies yeah. uh, that are more complex and that may influence and may need to influence different levels, different yeah. factors. And I, I agree with you. I think that ultimately many things, uh, not all, but many things do come down to money um, in terms of who's going to fund the bus, who's going to hire uh, more uh, healthcare workers. And I think, you know, when we think about low to middle income countries, these countries developmentally um, are, you know, it really just at the beginning of their trajectory uh, in terms of national development um, and oftentimes don't have a very strong or stable GDP, oftentimes have governments that have varying degrees of uh, corruption. Um, and so trying to uh, obtain funding that is sustainable and that can be funneled into uh, healthcare is, is really difficult. Now, one of the the other things that you had mentioned uh, before your, the break is that you also have been involved in work in HIV. And we know that around the world, uh, we've actually seen a great deal of progress in terms of HIV um, and its control, in large part mediated by philanthropy and, um, you know, the millennial development goals of, of really reducing HIV, malaria, and TB. And so the next question is, is one strategy that you may have looked at in, or thought about in terms of increasing uh, infrastructure, um, getting out into cancer, whether it's cervical cancer or others, is building upon the infrastructure that might already exist in terms of HIV? And how would that work? Um, how does that look? And is that something that various countries are trying? Yeah, very good point. Uh, 
a very good question. And and the integration of services is something that um, depend on the kind of services, but the integration specifically with HIV services is a kind of a strategy that is being used uh, for different purposes in, in, in different countries, but especially those that, of course, those that in which there are, um, there is a high incidence or prevalence of HIV, especially in, in Sub-Saharan Africa. And there are efforts to integrate uh, chronic disease as well as cervical cancer and cancer for other, um, and care for other cancers into the HIV um, programs, since those have in some way already figured out and have the personnel, have the support of the, of the infrastructure, although they still have challenges and barriers to implementing uh, the evidence-based interventions. But yeah, there are some efforts that are being made to try to integrate hypertension and chronic disease, for example, management into HIV services, as well as cancer control service, especially in the case of cervical cancer, is a cancer that is elevated among those with HIV. Dr. Raul Hernandez Ramirez is a research scientist in biostatistics at the Yale School of Public Health. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.